Hey, what's up? I'm Anthony. And I'm Dan. And we are J&J Missions, spreading the gospel by all means, one soul at a time. We give live talks, we make YouTube videos, and you can find us all over social media. And as you probably figured, we have a podcast. Whether we're giving spiritual tips, deliberating about current events, or talking saints and devotionals, we want to bring the Catholic faith to you in a totally orthodox, yet relatable, down-to-earth way. If you want to support us, head over to our website, www.jmjmissions.com. Good day to you. This is the JMJ Missions Podcast. I am your host, Daniel Palmieri, along with my co-host and co-founder, Anthony McCullough. We have a great podcast for you today, a very interesting one, juicy one, as we keep saying. Uh, The title being, quote, this is a hard saying, end quote, the toughest teachings of Jesus. But before we get to that, Ant, your Stuff in the World segment, what you got for us? All right, well, it relates to our topic, 0%. And okay, good. The stuff in the world is you have to give me a Mount Rushmore top four <laughs> favorite food scenarios. So Wait, n- hold on. So not, go ahead. What the heck is a favorite food scenario? So it's not just your favorite foods because that's too boring. It has to be like the food attached to the scenario. So you can think about it because you have to give four and I'll give one of mine. Can I ask you a quick question? Yeah. What if you're not a total nutcase like you and you don't think in terms of food <laughs> well, scenarios? you should because sometimes the <laughs> environment amplifies the food. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. So my number one. Oh, and also it's all time. It's not current. Okay. It's like all time. <laughs> so my number one, there is a convenience store near us in South Jersey called Wawa. If you live anywhere near us, then you know what this is. But many of our listeners are from like Panama. So like they don't know that <laughs> what Wawa is. Anyway, the late night Wawa run. So I'm going to say like age 17 to 18, you have your license, you go to Wawa at like two in the morning to get a hoagie and an iced tea and chips. That's in my Mount Rushmore of food scenarios. Okay. I'm going to include that as like my number three or four now that you've mentioned it. It doesn't have to be in order. It's just, it's just top four in general. That's not my number one of all time. All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to agree with you on that one because I was there for many of those 17, 18 years old. Wawa runs specifically like we would go swimming in your parents' pool, mm-hmm. um, and then we'd be exhausted from swimming and like you know literally beating each other up in the pool and stuff yep. like that. And finally, we'd be starving at 11 p.m. and we're 17, don't want to go in, and we would make a Wawa run, mm-hmm. come back with hoagies and chips. You're and, right, and we were also excited to drive. We just wanted to drive. You're right. I wanted an excuse to drive too. Now that you're saying that, and mm-hmm. Wawa was just the place to go. Yeah, and it was just the right distance away. <laughs> what about two miles, right, from yeah. our development? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. That's in my top four. Uh, honestly, I'm gonna go from random and kind of funny to just completely um, different vibe here. Uh, just Disney World with my wife and children it has yet to happen. But what's the food? I don't know. Any well, Disney meal. With my wife and children, because like I okay, there's two best like best things. I love spending if I have just some free time, which I have very little of now, and I could just go out with Karen and the childs, all right, <laughs> the children, and I could just spend some time with them and go out to eat. Like it's a great day. Like that's I mean that's what my life has come to. But I say that proudly because it is a great day if I can just spend some time with them and Disney World. You know, for all of Disney's flaws, which I don't agree with in a lot of different ways, which we're not going to go into, I do still love Disney World in general and the idea of, like, an innocent, fun, good time, and that is, like, up there for me. What kind of meal, you ask? I don't necessarily care, as long as it's half-decent, which Disney food usually pr- pretty much is, mm-hmm. you know? So maybe, like, for those Disney fans, like, Be Our Guest restaurant 
in Magic Kingdom. That's fair. I've never been, but or, I can imagine it's good. Or, oh, perfect scenario. It's day three out of your vacation out of six or seven days. In Disney? Yeah. So it's like you're already warming up. You're having a great time. And you still have four days left of your of your trip. And you go to like a breakfast at the resort at like the Polynesian or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'll ever be able to afford that. But that's like my dream meal. Well, once this podcast takes off, then we'll be able to afford it. Right. So if mm-hmm. you want to send me and my <laughs> wife and kids, not you, listener, just us for our selfish motives. And not me either. And right? not even Anthony. Just me. <laughs> Share this podcast, please. No, but do it for the gospel. <laughs> all right. Another all right, one. Give me, give me your number We don't two. have to give four each. We'll just give okay. four total. That's fine. And then, all right. So my other one will be a midwinter, dead of winter trip down the shore. Uh-huh. To this pizza place in Ocean City, New Jersey, my favorite, called Manco and Manco's, yep, and, and actually, yep, yep. you're the one who got me into Manco and Manco's. That's not actually true. My dad took me there when I was seven, and I I thought it was disgusting. What? Because it was like there was no cheese, and it's just a lot of sauce. It's crispy. And I, lo- I looked at it like I was gonna barf. It's crispy boardwalk pizza. And I didn't have it again. I think until I was in high school. Mm. But then when I always got it in the summertime. But then you and your family used to go in January, and then that caught on with our friend groups. Ah. So then many times we went there in January, yeah. and I always looked forward to that. Oh, Manco's is so good. So winter time. Mm-hmm. So a winter trip to the boardwalk because it's more pizza. It's more nostalgic and it's true. It's more hipster. Yeah, it's like not the cool thing to do. Right. So it makes it cooler. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Uh, for mine, for the fourth food scenario. Um, I honestly can't. I can't think of anything. You're gonna have to give it. I feel like it's probably gonna have something to do with breakfast. You're like a big, I love bacon and egg kind of guy. You know what I used to love? We would take trips with our church young adult group, the Axe Group down the shore. And I'll tell you what what we used to do. I mean, you were there. I don't. You don't need need to tell you this, but for the (laughs) for the listeners, um, we would have my whole young adult group down to my aunt's shore house, who was so kind to let us use it. And we would like the last night we were there. So we'd, we'd pray, you know, we'd go to mass. We'd also go on the beach, have like a great fun balance time. And the last night we were there, we'd have this gigantic cookout. Like a bunch of the guys would run out to uh, the grocery store and get all kinds of food and then have a huge cookout. We have a picture of this. We do have multiple pictures of this and uh, just a great time. Um, you, you know, you just, like the times like that just don't seem to come that much anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially uh, this is just around the time iPhones and stuff were getting big, but they hadn't taken over people's lives in the same way they had now. Yep. And so people were more, there was more sense More of, talkative. Yet more of a sense yeah. of togetherness mm-hmm. and just wonderful, wonderful times. So I will, I'll go with that food scenario. Very nice. All Good. Right. That's all I got. Cool. Mm-hmm. All right. All right, let's get into the topic. Okay, we'll take a quick break and we'll get into it. All right. Okay, now that we're back, switching gears. Um, well, first off, I have to say, Ant, um, when you first told me about that Stuff in the World segment, I was not optimistic. I, I was very um, not optimistic. Skeptical. Pest- skeptimist- skeptimistic. Pessimistic. I had a feeling that <laughs> you might be. Yep. I thought you might be, and that's why I didn't tell you beforehand. All right. Mm-hmm. All right, but you know it worked out. Yeah, it worked out, and maybe a nice little break. Yeah, maybe our listeners will send us. You can come and, if you want to Disney World. Yeah, and maybe it'll make them think of their favorite food scenarios, yeah, which won't do go. anything for their. soul. Actually, it might do something good for their soul. Well, you know, gratitude. Because then it can gratitude. bring back good memories that they've had. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they these memories come from yeah. the Lord. I mean, joy comes ex- from God too. Right. Nothing can mm-hmm. exist without the Lord. Yep. All right. So Makes you're sense. welcome. 
Yeah, you're welcome, listeners. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Switching gears from that nice levity, we're going to have one of the most serious topics we've, we've done, um, like ever, and that is the most difficult sayings of Jesus. The title for this podcast, This is a Hard Saying, comes from the Gospels. Uh, there are many times that um, Jesus gives a teaching, and some of the teachings are just like so easy. You know what I mean? And when I say easy, I mean none of Jesus' teachings are really easy, but there are things that are like easy to agree digest with. yeah like help the poor everyone you know agrees with that you know <clears throat> you know love other people love you know um love your neighbor as yourself love god like everyone agrees with those things there are certain things that are really tough and they got weird responses from the bystanders especially from the scribes and the pharisees one of which is this is a hard saying who can understand it uh and i believe one of the teachings that we're going to go through that's literally the response that the crowds came up with because they didn't understand what he meant nor do they want to understand it i don't even know which one that's attached to i think it's the last one we'll go through no, but right. don't quote me on that mm-hmm. and they'll if the people want to find out what the last one is they're just gonna have to keep listening yeah so and, and just to preface all of this i'm taking a grad class right now called jesus and the gospels and i learned recently that the more outlandish the fr- the phrase was from jesus the more likely it actually was said yeah, I love yeah. that you mentioned you mentioned that before mm-hmm. the podcast, and I thought that was fantastic because um, I took the same class, but from a different professor, and I, they never said that. Yeah, and I thought that was really interesting because you know if you're making up the gospels, if you're Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, why would you say them like randomly outlandish, tough things? Yeah. if it wasn't just the truth. And there's like a double meaning with this too. He kind of doubles down because if it would have been outlandish for a first century Jewish person, and outlandish for a 21st century Christian. You know what I mean? So like if it's if it's crazy for both of those yeah. categories, then it's like it's crazy boom, for this everybody. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy for everyone mm-hmm. of all time and they still included it, which is yeah, that, that's because if this was made up, if they were trying to fake this, then they wouldn't include those things. Absolutely. Yeah. It's kinda like, you know, they also said the same thing about um the resurrection. Like women were the first people in most of the gospel accounts, although they vary slightly in detail, mm-hmm. the overall account for all four gospels is that women were among the first to discover that Jesus had resurrected and he, his body was not in the tomb. Women back then were not a credible eyewitness. Right. So if you're a gospel <laughs> writer trying to fake Jesus' resurrection, you would never say that women discovered the tomb unless it was just the truth and you were just letting the chips fall wherever they were going to fall. Yeah, you know? exactly. So that's really cool. That reminds me of the movie um, Case for Christ. Yes. Which you guys should watch. It's all Yeah, it goes yeah. through all of that, which is mm-hmm. fantastic. Great movie. All right. Uh, so the first of the seven which we picked seven. You can pick way more than this. These are just our seven that we picked. Um, but there is probably, I could probably think of like 13 or 14 of these tough sayings. So if you have your own tough saying, feel free to comment on one of our videos um, what you think it is, the toughest saying of Jesus, if we didn't cover it. Number one, this comes from Matthew chapter five. Lots of them come from Matthew. Chapter five, verses 29 through 30. I'll read it. This is Jesus's own words. Quote, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and throw it away. It is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. And why is that so tough? I like that one because it's he's kind of saying it's better to live like almost with a disability than it would be to go into hell. Cause, and he kind of means what he says. Now, Jesus spoke in a lot of different ways. And in this regard, we don't need to take him literally because he doesn't actually want us to do those things. <laughs> he's not like in asking us to be masochistic. Right. He's asking us to, that's how seriously we should try not to sin. Where if we're going to sin, then just cut off your hand so you don't. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, 
a lot of these sayings that we're going to be going through, all seven of them, they're difficult for 21st century uh, Americans, Westerners, to <laughs> anybody really in the world now today to uh, have to hear because like there's sin everywhere. Yeah. So he's saying if there's an, any near occasion of sin that is causing you to uh, to fall into sin, you have to be strong right. and cut you it off. You have to cut it out. Right. If that means reducing your screen time, if that means setting up a, a buddy system right. with the sites right. you're going on, if mm-hmm. that means um, if that means avoiding the certain people, certain parties, certain uh, occasions, uh, man, like we've said this before, but the, the best time to overcome sin or temptation is to nip right it in away. the bud right away yeah. as soon as it begins. And by buddy system, you mean like an accountability partner. Accountability right? partner, mm-hmm. exactly. Something like that. Um, and it, that is tough because, you know, we want to dabble in sin. We want to think, oh, I'll just dabble here and right. there. But let I it in actually... a little bit. Right, yeah. yeah. And by the time we let in a little bit, number one, your conscience is already taken a hit. Weakened. And weakened. Number two, um, it's harder to say no mm-hmm. once you let that it's little bit It's not impossible, in. but at that point, you're almost toast. Exactly. You're, yeah. al- you're and right. And you kind of already sinned anyway to, like, you know, even dabble in those things to begin with. Exactly. Yeah. So he's saying cut off all occasions, people even, that cause you to sin. I'm thinking specifically, I mean, we have all kinds of ages that listen to this podcast, but teenagers, if Mm -hmm. there's any teenagers or college kids listening right now, certain friend group that you have, doesn't mean you got to be mean or snobby to them, but like cut them off if they're the ones leading you into sin, you Mm -hmm. know, or at least don't hang out with them in certain situations where you know it's going to, it's not going to turn out well. Yeah. Yeah. Know know thyself. Thanks. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Number two. Would you want to read it? Yeah. It's Matthew chapter 18. Number two says... At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. Um, we included that entire passage. I decided on that because it's so beautiful what he says about children, mm-hmm. how innocent and precious they are, and so harsh what he says about those that bring them into sin. Yeah, I like when he says one of these little ones. Yes. Yeah. And you know, that can mean two things, apparently. A lot of scholars think that that can mean actual children or little ones meaning like spiritually like innocent people. Yeah. Any who, anyone who's innocent who has an innocent mind. When you tarnish that innocence and you introduce them to sin, you are responsible for their soul going to hell. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking of my own kids. Like, they're so innocent. Like, okay, my kids are really tough sometimes. I mean, we joke around. We call my son Napoleon sometimes because he's like a tiny destructive <laughs> agent around the house. Um, he's tiny and all he does is just, like, you know, destroy everything in his wake. <laughs> and he loves the eagles. Uh, he loves the eagles. The goyles, apparently, because mm-hmm. we said go eagles and he just says goyles. <laughs> um and by the way, they're in the NFC Championship, so we're really excited about that. Anyway, um, going back to the point, he's innocent. He's destructive and he's bad, but he's so innocent at the same time. Like he could, he could never even get to the point of thinking negative things, plotting vengeance on people, gossip. He's not even at that point. Kids are so beautiful because what you see is what you get. They don't hide anything. They're not fake at all, and they're innocent-minded. They're forgiving. They're resilient. And Jesus is saying, if you can be like them. You are closest to God in the kingdom of heaven, like a little thinking, like a little kid. It doesn't mean you're stupid or you're childish, but childlike. And for those that uh, ruin the innocence of children, especially around the adolescent years, adults that are careless in how they speak around children, mm-hmm. the kind of things they let their kids watch, man, these people are having it coming, yeah. coming to them. You know, um, 
I'm thinking specifically of our time period. Um, the uh, the Blessed Mother appeared in Ecuador. We've talked about this apparition before in the 1600s to a nun and told her what the, her name was Mother Mariana de Jesus Torres. And she predicted what life would be like in the 21st century. This nun's body is now incorrupt. So it's, these are approved apparitions of Mary from 400 years ago. Here's what she said about the 20th century. She said all kinds of really amazing things that uh, all these prophecies about our time that would come true. One of the craziest things that she said, though, she said in these times that Satan will kind of go around really messing with the world, messing with customs and people, she, she said Satan will focus principally on children to destroy society. And how many avenues is he getting in with children right under their parents' noses yeah. now? With TV, with phones. Yeah, TikTok. Yeah, so mm-hmm. make sure you're aware of what your kids are looking at. Make sure you're having honest conversations with your kids. Uh, if you're a teenager, your younger brothers and sisters, please, like, you know, watch out for them. And maybe you shouldn't be super controlling, but, like, sit them down and talk to them. Have heartfelt spiritual discussions about what they're consuming so that they don't, uh, their innocence is not ruined. Yeah. You know? And I also think in this saying by Jesus, uh, obviously, he says little ones, and he says children many times. So, like, he's clearly talking about children. Mm-hmm. But also, I think this is how seriously we should not get anyone else to sin, even, like, our peers. Right. Like, we don't want to bring our peers into sin because, it would again, it would be better to tie a millstone around our neck and jump into the sea right. than it would be to sin ourselves or to cause someone else to enter into sin, too. Exactly. You know, we, we're, not, we're not born into this world bad. We are, in a sense, because we're born with original sin, but we're also born innocent-minded. And um, that's a gift from God. Like he kind of has a little pure protection around each soul that grows up, and uh, something has to happen. Like, like it sins like a disease. It's got to be introduced into that child's life in certain ways by certain people in order for them to get worse and worse. So let's not let that be us. Let's protect that innocence as much as we can. I used to get made fun of when I was in middle school uh, for having innocent mind. Like I didn't know what certain like dirty phrases yeah, me meant, too. And things like that. Uh-huh. And that was embarrassing for me at that time. Now I'm realizing more and more what a precious and good thing that is you know Mm -hmm. if you have an innocent mind keep it yeah that that used to happen i remember like on the soccer field kids would say like inappropriate things and like i would just be clueless and they would just be like oh he doesn't know what this is right in the locker room yeah for any Uh sport things like that especially among guys yeah but girls too i mean Uh like if you have an innocent mind keep it and guard it with all your heart yeah Uh, i'm thinking of the blessed mother not only because she protected the child jesus and St. Joseph, but because she's so pure and innocent herself. What, what better person to come to to regain your innocence if you've lost it than through confession and through the intercession of Our Lady. All right, number three. This was from Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 and 39. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist one who is evil. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Anthony, you mentioned your kids, your students in this. Yeah, right? whenever I teach this one to my students, they're just like they just kind of go bonkers because like the whole self defense thing yeah. is is like this is contrary to that. Like you know, you learn your whole life if somebody pushes you, you push them back. Right, and that's the opposite of what Jesus is saying here. Right mm-hmm. now, it doesn't mean you can't defend yourself. Like if someone like randomly comes up to you and tries to punch you, you're allowed to defend yourself. Mm-hmm. But what a lot of these kids go for and what people go for is like, oh, I have an opportunity. I have the right to seek vengeance on them. Right. Like, no. Yeah. No. I mean, hate can't. I mean, we learned this with Cain and Abel, right? I mean, what does Cain do? Kills his brother. Like like Adam and Eve sin. And you think, oh, well, maybe their kids aren't going to be as bad as them. Maybe it's not going to travel. And then their kids end up killing each other. So clearly sin is getting worse after Adam and Eve. And the first Bible story after the first human being sinning is one brother killing another. So it's getting bad. 
And you think, well, what a horrible, disgusting crime. And God actually says that. In the Bible, it says that, that Abel's blood from being killed by his brother cried out to God. So God feels and is absolutely hurt by the sins we commit. He doesn't stop them because of free will, but he feels it and he's horrified and mortified and so saddened by the sins we commit. But what does he do? He does not give anyone the ability to murder Cain. It says he puts a mark on Cain mm-hmm. and banishes him to the east for two reasons. One, because Cain is now infested with sin. He's contaminated. There's no cure yet. Jesus hasn't come. This is the Old Testament. And so people have to stay away from Cain so they don't get contaminated themselves. That's number one, to quarantine him. But number two, it's so no one can take vengeance on him because one evil does not make up for another. Right. Committing an evil to make up for another evil just adds more evil to the situation. And, and didn't God also say that if anyone did try to hurt him, that he would be avenged sevenfold or something like that? I think I, that's in Scripture. Oh, man, I don't know. Yeah. I'm sure there's something like that in Scripture, whether it's about Cain or someone else. I'm not entirely mm-hmm. sure. But what I do know is God is has never been, even Old Testament God. And when I say Old Testament God, I'm saying this in quotes. because You're not, it's, you're not Marcion. No, I'm not a Marcion. <laughs> that's a good heresy to bring up. Um, no, we're, we're not Marcionites. Uh, we do believe it's the same. Maybe that's why our podcast hasn't blown up because we're Marcionites. Maybe we're Marcionites, right? <laughs> uh, it's the, we do believe, obviously, it's the same God that you know um, shaped the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, just deals with us slightly differently. But um, even in the Old Testament, he's laying the groundwork saying, I am never okay with evil return for evil. Only love. Only love can um, fight back against the, the darkness that pervades the world. And the perfect example of that, as he is for almost everything, and well, I will say it, everything that he taught is Jesus on the cross. Forgive them, Father, they know not what they do, as he's being nailed to the cross. Now, that's really tough. That's a high bar for Jesus to set, almost an impossible bar, we should say, but not if uh, he's helping you out. With prayer, with the sacraments, we can forgive those that hurt us, and we can do it and achieve the peace that we need inside because um, unforgiveness really hardens your heart and makes right. it hard to feel God. Mm-hmm. All right, number four is uh, Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, verse 33. Okay. So therefore, whoever of you does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. That's a really good one. We're doing this also in connection with a rich young man from Matthew, I believe, who approaches Jesus and says, what commandments, uh, what should I do to follow, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, uh, you know, follow the commandments, and he starts listing them. The youth says, uh, young man says, I, I've done all these for my youth. And uh, Jesus says, that's very good. Now, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all you have to the poor and come and follow me. And then he walks away sad, it says. Yes, the yeah. rich young man goes away sad, says, because he owned many possessions and he was obviously not ready to give them up. Why is this one so difficult? Because we get attached to our material things, I think. And like they bring us comfort, and we're not ready to live with the uncertainty of what it would be like without them. Because mm. we don't trust that God is all we need. We think that we need everything that we can see and feel. Yeah, this is another very American 2023 kind of um, viewpoint to have, is that like we want to believe in God. I think it's something like, uh, it's like 90% of Americans believe in a higher power, 65% now identify as Christians and believe in Jesus, but how many of us actually really want to give our lives to him totally? Very, very few. Mm-hmm. We kind of want to have our cake and eat it too. Yeah. Oh, I believe in God, but you know, you spend your life just trying to, your only goal is getting promotions for your yeah. job, or your only goal is pleasure, or you have mm-hmm. all these sins on the side you're not willing to give up. Jesus says that is not good enough, and that's a tough thing to hear. Mm-hmm. It's not easy to hear that, but that's not good enough. He wants your whole heart. This doesn't mean you have to be perfect. All it means is that you have to try. You have to be open to him changing you however he wants to change you, you know? 
Also why we shouldn't receive the Eucharist in a state of mortal sin. Not because you're perfect. As Pope Francis said, the, the Eucharist is medicine for us. Mm-hmm. But if you're not open to God, if there's something you're holding on to, a big sin that you are not willing to give up, then you're not willing, you're not, you're not um, able to receive the Eucharist because that'd be like a uh, hypocrisy. You're saying to God when you receive the Eucharist, I'm open to everything you want to give me right now. I'm totally open to you transforming my life. But if there's something you're holding on to, you're not able to renounce everything for him, or at least in theory try to, then you're not able to connect with him on the highest level he wants you to connect with him on. So um, think of the, of the apostles. All of them gave up everything, everything to follow him. Now, it doesn't mean we literally need to sell everything we have. It depends on your vocation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was well said. Right. So it just means that you should be able to give up everything that you know God wants you to within your state of life. Mm-hmm. And then live poor in spirit. Exactly. And actually, that's, if I can confess this, something that I'm struggling with right now, uh, something there where God thinks, um, I think God wants me to try to level up in this area. I, uh, like, we're, you know, financially, with two kids now, it's not easy. Like, I'm trying to trust God as a theology teacher and with JMJ Missions. And uh, it can be very tempting to just go get a job in business somewhere, because there's nothing wrong with that, you know? It's not a sin, obviously. Mm-hmm. And just make more money, therefore I can, you know, like, do everything I need to do and provide easily and have it, have it, uh, kind of have it my way but there, then there's no struggle there's nothing mm-hmm. for me i keep thinking there's nothing for me to really trust god with deeply and give to god and if i truly trust him then um we can live um you know on a, on a lower means on a theology teacher's salary with a ministry on the side if it means that's what's best for his kingdom and then i have to trust that he's going to provide for my family and i as best that he can right and just like he already is it, and we'll continue to do so exactly and that's mm-hmm. all we can ask for all right number five This is from uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verse 29. And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer and fasting. What's he talking about there? Demons. Demons. Yeah, some demons can only be removed by prayer and fasting. And I think that's because fasting requires so much love and so much effort that it just gets rid of the demon in there. Because just prayer is a sacrifice. But I feel like anybody can just like sit down and pray for five minutes. But not anybody can fast. And like I myself am, am horrible at it. Me too. And it takes so much love and so much willpower to fast. So if you can pray and fast for an intention, I feel like God's almost powerless to not give you what you want. Yeah. Especially if you're trying to get rid of a demon. Oh, yeah. This story actually comes from when Jesus sent the apostles out two by two. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, just watch the episode of The Chosen, season three, where they, they depict that. It was a great episode. Um the more and more I get into The Chosen, little side note, um, the more I'm realizing there are definitely some aspects of it that don't totally fall through with what our traditions say about the apostles and Jesus, but I will tell you, great show, and in, considering our time period and culture, it is good enough for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, take the good, you know, in which 98% of it's good. So what I'll tell you about that is that he sent them out two by two, and they casted out demons, and they were doing a great job. They were healing the sick, they were preaching the good news, um, but this is before Pentecost. The, the apostles before Pentecost are not quite the same as the apostles after Pentecost. So before Pentecost, they're kind of just like doing their thing as best they can, not really understanding what's going on. It's really Jesus working totally through them, as he always does, but they don't really even understand it. They're not at a high level yet. So there's one man that they come up to who is fully possessed by, like I'm assuming, tons of demons. And no matter how much they tried to cast it out, the apostles could not. So they had to grab Jesus and Jesus comes and immediately kicks a demon out, like quickly, quickly. That was me snapping, <laughs> if you heard it in the background. So it comes out immediately when Jesus uh, casts it out. Later on, the apostles say to him, how come we couldn't cast that one out? And that was his response. Some demons 
can only be removed. I'm guessing the, the tougher ones, the more strong ones, the ones that are more embedded into someone's soul, they can only be removed by both prayer and fasting. And I love what you said, Ant, because there's more love contained in fasting. I call it like a super prayer. Mm-hmm. You know, God is love. God works with what we give him. The more love contained in our prayers, the more you're giving him to work with. And the best way to love, as Jesus showed us, is suffering for God or someone else. That is the most intense form of love you could possibly think of. I mean, what did Jesus do before he even started his ministry? Fasted. Fasted for 40 days in the desert. Exactly. And then cu- that all culminated in, in, in the cross, mm-hmm. giving his whole life. So, And there's, there's no shortcut around fasting. Like, it's just hard. You yeah. just, just got to do it. It's, it's just hard. That's why it's difficult. Yeah. Like, you know, uh-huh. it's not easy to give these things up. Everyone likes talking the talk, yeah. but you're walking the walk when you mm-hmm. fast. <laughs> all right. Uh, number six. This is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, verses 31 and 32. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever says a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Wow. So Jesus is like super forgiving, right? God's all forgiving. So what the heck's going on here? So I kind of always thought that blasphemy is like when you make fun of God or when you claim to be God. Yeah. But if I... Let's say, like, in my youth, if I would have told a joke about God, mm-hmm. does that mean that that sins? No, and you know what I think he means by this? You, well, you just read it. Jesus says, and whoever says a word against the Son of Man, Jesus, will be forgiven. Meaning, if you, like, blaspheme against God, that's a sin. You take God's name in vain, things like that, but you'll be forgiven. So, obviously, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is a whole different kind of monster. That's not something you say. This is a hardening of your heart on the inside. The Holy Spirit works inside of us. The Holy Spirit is the person of the Trinity that we are most uh, associated with, like, in our hearts, you know. That means what Jesus is saying, in my opinion, and a lot of scholars as well, is that um, in your heart, if you're blaspheming in your in your will, God can't forgive you. Not because he doesn't want to forgive you. He's all forgiving. He's all loving. But think about it. It's like he's always trying to forgive you. But if you won't let him because you're too full of yourself to even be sorry, then he's just um, honoring your free will. And he can't. That's why it won't be forgiven. Yeah. So that's literally what goes to hell is blaspheming God in your heart. I know better. I'm not going to be sorry. I'm not going to let the Holy Spirit in. I mean, even when we sin, like even like if you're in the, the darkest pit of a, a mortal, a recurring mortal sin and you feel hopeless, there's still, it's always there in every person, there's still something deep down inside of you saying, hey, you can go to confession. You can be forgiven. It's okay. There's hope. There's hope be sorry. It's okay. God will forgive you. That voice never goes away as long as we live. So what happens is if we just continue to harden our hearts against that and say, no, I will not be sorry. I will not seek hope. I will not let God forgive me. I will not believe that. Then you are claiming that you know more than God. And you're kind of making yourself out to be God. Exactly. In the most negative of ways too, right? So trust in God's mercy. Jesus died for you and um, that wasn't on accident. He knew you were going to sin. It's not okay to sin. We're not justifying it. But he knew you were going to, and that's why he died on the cross. Please, please utilize that gift. You know, take him up on the, he's given you a check, cash it. <laughs> yeah. You know, don't leave that check uncashed. You don't know better. He knows you need that check. You need that money. <laughs> so cash it. Don't think you know better. <laughs> All right. And number seven, this is John chapter six. And for this one, I had to take out a photo on my phone because I want to read to you a little more than normal, a few different verses of it. Is this is uh, where we get the title of the podcast from. It says, John chapter 6, verse 52. 
The Jews disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not such as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. This he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many of his disciples, when they heard it, said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples murmured at it, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you that do not believe. For Jesus knew from the first those who were that did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples drew back and no longer went about with him. Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That was a long verse. That was a long passage to read, but all very important. What is he talking about here? Oh, well, that's the Eucharist, obviously. And yep. I believe that somewhere in there was John chapter 6, verse 66. <clears throat> yes. Which is interesting because that's like the devil's number. But six, it's six, six. also where we get the source and summit of our faith. Right. So it's like God takes that number and kind of just like punches it in the face. <laughs> <laughs> it's where John chapter six, verse 66, oddly enough, is when he loses many of his disciples because they didn't feel like trusting him on the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. Wow. And then I also like that he didn't stop them from leaving. Right. And there's a reason he didn't stop them from leaving, which do you know? Oh, he's dead serious. Yeah, because he meant it. Right. Because if he didn't mean it, he would have been like, wait. It's a metaphor. Yeah. Exactly. He was not speaking metaphorically. In fact, I heard that uh, the Greek translation of this the word for eat is not just like oh like you know consume mm-hmm. or like just be close to me it's chew it's he gnaw, who, you can pretty right? much say yeah he who does not physically gnaw and chew on my flesh and drink my blood does not have life within me and that's why the crowds were so shocked and freaked out by it and then i love this boss line by jesus after everybody leaves he just turns to his apostles and goes like do you want to go to yeah <laughs> and the apostles it's not it's not like they're like Oh no, you're you're talking about the Eucharist. We get it. Yeah. No, they have no clue what he's talking about. They're just like, okay, we'll trust you on this. You've done some cool stuff. We're not going to go anywhere else. But like, yeah, we're confused too. Yeah, and it <laughs> makes sense that he would have waited a while to say this. Like, you know, he waited how long? Three years into his ministry until he said this. Yeah, this I believe was the Last Supper, right? I, it wasn't the Last not, Supper, but yeah. it was toward. It wasn't mm-hmm. in the beginning of his ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the funny thing about that is they were rewarded because at the Last Supper, what happens? They trusted him. They mm-hmm. stuck with him. They had no clue what he meant, most likely. But they stuck with them, and then at the Last Supper, what happens? Raises the bread. This is my body. Raises the cup, the wine. This is my blood. Boom, light bulb. Mm-hmm. It's the Eucharist. Yeah. But you know, he still could have explained that before, but they probably wouldn't have understood it. And he's just for the effect, and I, I believe for uh, the truth, to defend the truth of what he's saying, that like this is not a symbol. Mm-hmm. He loves us this much that he would literally physically give himself to us in the Eucharist and be one with us both physically and spiritually. That's why he didn't pull any punches in how he said that. Yep. Doesn't care. Didn't care if people left him. Didn't care if people didn't understand it. He knew they were complaining, and he was pretty much like, "Are you offended at this? 
gosh, what a boss. Yeah, and confidence, too. <laughs> so confident. Like he doesn't need you. He doesn't need you. <laughs> we need him. Yeah. <laughs> nice guy. I mean, don't get yeah. me wrong. Great guy. But we need him. He doesn't yep. need us. <laughs> um, I love this one last thing I want to mention about it. When he says, do you take offense at this? Like, how come you don't believe? He said, what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Meaning, that's really cool. If you believe me when I say that I'm going to be taken up on a cloud and ascend back to heaven, which is unbelievably phenomenal. If I can do something like that, and if I can do all these other miracles like walk on water and raise the dead, you really think I don't have the power to make bread into my body and blood? Of course I do. How could we say that we believe he's going to resurrect our bodies in the last day, and he's going to come again at the end of the world, which we believe, and they did all these great miracles, but he doesn't have the ability to turn bread and wine into his body and blood, especially for love of us because he loves us so physically and so directly. That's just un- unbelievably yeah. amazing. Mm-hmm. So um, get to mass. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that's the that's the uh, yeah the yeah. moral of the story. Get to mass. <laughs> cool. I like it. All right. Anything you want to add? No. Do you want to take a break and then I have an idea because we don't have the Saint cup. Yep. We'll take a quick break. Yeah. And we'll come right back with the uh, whatever your idea is. <laughs> okay. All right, well, I forgot to bring the saint cup or the devotional devotional (laughs) cup over. So my idea, and feel free to shoot it down, tomorrow is St. Francis de Sales' feast day. So do you want to just use him as the saint? Yeah, sure, sure. Francis de Sales, great Mm -hmm. saint. I mean, there's really no saints in the devotional cup, but this is totally... Oh, that's right. It's okay. That's like, you know, Holy Spirit, whatever you feel. All right. All right, what you got about St. Francis de Sales? Just my favorite thing is what he said about relaxing, but I feel like I've said it on a podcast before. So you got to say something about... St. Francis de Sales. I know he wrote Introduction to the Devout Life. Yep. He also wrote The Art of Loving God. Um, the Art of Loving God is cool because that's actually just a compilation of uh, talks he gave on retreats that people wrote down. Oh, really? Yeah, which is really cool. Um, Francis de Sales is a spiritual master. I mean, he wrote tons of books. He might be a doctor of the church. I'm not entirely I'm not sure. sure either. But I know he's definitely really good when it comes to, like, spiritual direction. Like, if you, do, if you don't have a spiritual director, get one. But in the meantime, like, let Francis de Sales be, like, a spiritual director from heaven. <laughs> yeah, and you really should read the introduction to the devout life, no matter what level of spirituality you're on, whether you're brand new into the Catholic faith or you've been Catholic for the last 35 years. Wasn't that the first Catholic books you read? It was the first book I ever read willingly, and I remember like, I read it about one year after my conversion, and I was still like, I was going to Mass for about a year, I was going to confession you know, regularly, stuff like that. And I read this book, and like, I didn't know what it meant. I didn't have a clue. I was just reading it just to read. <laughs> I put it down for a few years, picked it up again later, and then it was just like fireworks and like light bulbs going nice. off. And even now, like it's there's just so many analogies in there that he makes like the most complicated spiritual concepts easy to understand. Yeah. You know, one thing I do remember him saying, like he has, like you said, a lot of great analogies. He really thinks of a lot of cool ins and outs in the spiritual life. Like he goes off at one point, it might be introduction to the devout life, about why we shouldn't um, – yearn for our sins of the past yeah that's in the that's in there is it yeah because Uh he says like you know a lot of people have a conversion they're feeling great they don't need their prior sins that's what happened to me you know i just felt like i didn't need sin for a long time like i was barely tempted but then after a little while people start to think well you know i gave my sins up but like in their minds secretly they start to like yearn for their past sins and yearn Uh for the pleasure they can't oh man those are the good old days when i could and he's like Dude, as soon as those thoughts yeah, come into your mind, yep, you need to toast. stomp them out because yeah. that is completely from the devil. Mm-hmm. And like you're obviously not understanding the joy that God wants to offer you without sin. Yeah. You know, when you don't have sin, your joy is so much better. So there's something off, and you got to point that out and get rid of it. You know? Yeah. 
So that's just one of many analogies he gives. Mm-hmm. There's another one I don't remember. I probably shouldn't even say because I don't remember the full context, but it was about a wolf licking uh, a sword that was frozen. Is that Francis de Sales? Yeah. Oh, and it's okay. like the more, like starting off, the wolf is just getting water because he's licking the sword and like the ice is melting. That's how uh, I believe Inuits would um, kill wolves and get their hides. Oh, okay. They, yeah. would, they would put a sword uh, or a knife. No, they would take a knife and freeze it mm-hmm. and put the blood of an animal yep. on the tip of it. Uh-huh. And then the wolf starts licking the, the knife and it's cutting, it, cutting itself. Right. And because it's so cold, their tongue is numb. Right. And then it dies. It dies of blood yeah, loss, not like, realizing it's yeah, all it's losing all like its the blood. numbing capacity of sin. Yeah. Something like that. And how yep. it kills the soul. Wow. Yeah. And that's actually a great analogy because what I've noticed is that like the farther and farther you go into sin, the less you realize how much you're sinning. Yep. The same analogy can go for a, like a frog. This is kind of dark, but you know, if you put a frog in uh, boiling water, it'll, like just jump, it'll jump out real quick. The second it feels that the water's hot, it'll quickly jump out and it'll save itself. But if you put a frog in room temperature water and you very slowly, just by one degree at a time, raise the temperature to a boiling temperature, it'll just never jump out because yeah. it's not ever going to realize uh-huh. that the water is getting hotter and then it just dies. Yeah. As soon as it reaches a certain point, it can't survive. Not realizing it's at that level, its body temperature is at the level, it just dies. Uh-huh. And that's also exactly like that wolf. What happens to our souls when we fall into sin? We become more and more and more numb. We realize less and less how far we've fallen from God. And we get less and less humble about it. And we less and less want to go to confession. You know what? I would see people, you know, um, distant from God. And I think, oh, it's okay. Eventually they'll come back to their senses. And, you know, later on, like when they're like, you know, our party friends, you know, you have party friends that like are partying in college and you think, well, they're sinning. But, you know, later on they'll they'll figure it out and they'll come back to God. It's okay. But then I'm, I realized as I got older, like, no, sometimes they don't. Yeah. Sometimes they just never come back to God uh-huh. because they just keep devolving into more and more and more sin and get more and more numb. They just never even realize how far they've gone. So um, what other analogy? That the, the windshield analogy goes along with that, right? Oh, that, that wasn't from St. Francis de Sales, though. I, I'm okay. not sure where I got that. Well, it's the same as that windshield analogy where, yeah. like, if you're driving in the dark, you don't see all the specks on your windshield, uh-huh. how dirty your windshield is. Yeah, it's not until light hits it. Right, it's yeah. not until you're driving in the light and the light represents God. When you finally turn your soul to God and you are and you realize how much you need Jesus, then you see all your little sins mm-hmm. on the windshield and you're like, oh my gosh, like, you know, I right. got to clean this thing off. Yeah. But if you're driving in the dark, I mean, like, you're oh, just, I'm fine. Yeah, you think you're yeah. fine. You don't see any of the specks. So. Yep. Obviously, like I said, Francis de Sales wasn't alive in the time of cars, but yeah. you, we can thank him for the beginnings of those analogies. Yep. <laughs> Anything I'm else? I'm all set now when I right. close with the prayer. Yes. Thanks to everyone for listening so much. Um, we we do uh, really appreciate it. Please, uh, if you found anything in this podcast helpful, please share it and tell people about us. Um, and that's all we got. And yep. you want to lead us in a prayer? Sure. Okay. All right. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, Dear Lord, thank you for all these tough sayings, these difficult sayings that you gave us. Give us the strength to accept them and to actually live them out. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless. God bless.